Have you come to worship today? I hope so. Acts chapter 20, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. Found something very interesting. Uh, I've never thought of hymn book writers as or compilers, whatever the case may be, uh, as a very humorous sort of people, you know, the kind of folks that might tell a joke. But I, I thought something was interesting this morning. We sang a hymn 669 for our beginning hymn, and I looked over um, and I asked Tyler, I said, ooh, I wonder if there's a hymn 666. You know how like elevators sometimes skip the 13th floor? So did the hymn book, do they put 666 in there? And so we turned to it, and the hymn title was, Whose Side Are You On? So, you know, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good, you know, for hymn, hymn book compilers to, to put that in there. I like that. Uh, Acts chapter 20, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Would you stand with me in honor and reverence for the reading of the Word of God? And as, uh, as we begin, remember Paul uh, has been in Ephesus and he had a great ministry there, stayed there almost three years. Uh, toward the very end of the time, there was a big riot and he didn't get caught up in it, but some other Christians did and they were trying to, to take the Christians out, but it actually turned out to be okay. There was nothing uh, bad that happened. And so we're kind of at the tail end of, of that and moving on to Paul's next, uh, next place. In verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1, it says, When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life, so he decided to return through Macedonia. Several men were traveling with him. They were Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. And as they went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, after the Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia, and five days later joined them in Troas, where we stayed for a week. On the first day of the week, we gathered together with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking into midnight. As the upstairs room where we were met was lighted with many flickering lamps. As Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said, he's alive. Then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive, well, and everyone was greatly relieved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we thank you from this, uh, for this story from God's Word. We pray that it God, that you would use it and uh, really to encourage us that we are part of a tradition of faith that goes back to the very early days of Christianity. Father, that although our buildings may look a little different and, and the instruments may have changed and, 
and, and little details here and there are different. God, we are still worshiping you through your son, Jesus Christ, just as the early believers did in the book of Acts. And Father, may that continuity, may that idea that we are part of something larger, the universal church, which spans uh, all the years of time and which spans uh, around the globe, may that encourage us and remind us that we are united in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So Paul decides it's time to go. He's had a great run in Ephesus. Ephesus uh, will continue, and we're going to have, he's not going to go back to Ephesus, but he's going to talk to the people of Ephesus uh, next Sunday or two. We'll see about that. But um, he, he has a great run there at Ephesus, a great ministry. And Ephesus will be a leading center of Christianity for the next 200 years. It just grows and grows and grows. God does amazing things uh, through Ephesus, uh, through the church there, and uh, he knows it's time to go. And so it says, he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. That means that he leaves where he is um, on, on, on the shore there, a city, a seaport city uh, there in what would be modern-day Turkey. And he goes up to Macedonia, which is kind of the, the upper area of what we would call Greece now. And he goes up to that area, and he passed through. The Bible says he was passing through the towns. He was encouraging the believers. So at this point, he's not planting new churches. He's just passing through, getting into contact uh, with the believers and, um, and, and just encouraging them as, as he goes to each place. And so he gets down. The Bible says he gets down to Greece. And so, you know, what we call Greece goes all the way up. But back then, Greece would just be that southern part. So this was most likely the city of Corinth, where he had stayed a long time in a previous ministry there. And the Bible says he stayed there for three months and so had a, had a good uh, ministry. And we know from the Bible that he had a lot to do with these Corinthians. We actually have two letters in the Bible, First and Second Corinthians. There are other letters that are referred to, and we've lost those other couple of letters. But there were actually four letters to the Corinthians, but only two made it into Scripture. And we don't have any idea, we have no record of what happened to those other two uh, letters. But they're referred to. So Paul... He stayed a long time in these Corinthians. He wrote them letters. It was, a, it was a really great place for him to work, even though it was a difficult mission field. And so he uh, gets ready to sail back. He wants to go to Jerusalem. Uh, I think initially he probably wanted to be there uh, in time for the Passover or what we Christians would talk about, Easter. Uh, and he wants to load up, but the Bible says he, he finds out uh, about a plot against his life. He understands that, hey, there's... If he gets on this boat with a bunch of other Jews who are all headed back toward Jerusalem and they're against him, you know, he could just go overboard real easy somewhere in the Mediterranean. They never hear from him again. So he decides, okay, I'm still heading back toward Jerusalem, um, but I'm going to go a different way. And by the way, there is a, Luke does something here. Uh, he kind of reminds us, remember in the Gospels as Jesus toward the end of his earthly life and earthly ministry, the Bible keeps referring to him saying he set his face toward Jerusalem and he was headed toward Jerusalem and that was his purpose. And, and you see all that, and, and even though there were warnings, you know, and, and he knew, he told the disciples, I'm going to be crucified and, and all this stuff, 
and, and they weren't listening, but, but there was kind of this, this point coming in Jerusalem. Well, Luke kind of does something, if you pay attention. Uh, a similar thing here, Paul is heading toward Jerusalem, and along the way, we're going to see that, that he hears prophecies and he gets warnings that, hey, bad stuff's going to happen in Jerusalem, but yet that's where he knows he has to go. So his mind and his heart is set toward Jerusalem. He, he can't go on this boat because, hey, he's not afraid of dying. He's had all kinds of things happen to him, but this isn't his time. And so he goes back up around uh, northern Greece and then across back down into uh, Asia Minor or Turkey, we would call it today. And so um, he goes that way. And the Bible tells us there's a whole bunch of guys that, that, um, that went with him. And, and you guys were hearing as I was reading all those names of those people in those towns, and some of y'all were thinking, I'm glad that's not me reading that stuff, right? And uh, you know what they taught us in seminary about pronouncing? Fake it. <laughs> Confidently fake it. So that's what I do. All right, I just, I don't know whether I'm saying it right or not, but that's the best I could do. But if you, if you were to look at a map of the ancient world, these names and the towns that they come from, they're spread out all over. And Paul, I mean, Luke, writing here, doesn't really mention it right at this point, but we hear later on in the book of Acts, like you get to around chapter 24, what's also talked about in the, book, uh, in the letter of 2 Corinthians, I think it is, or one of the letters. Anyway, there was a big collection that all of the other uh, Christians, these Gentile Christians, and these churches that were mixed Jews and Gentiles spread out all over the, the Roman world, they were taking up a collection for the Jews, for the Christians back in Jerusalem, for the mother church, you might say. And so all these men, the point of all them being there is, number one, uh, they were being careful. There was a large amount of money. You know, we always need to handle God's money, his things. We need to handle it uh, carefully and use caution, and, and that would have helped. But also they were representatives so that they could go back to these folks in Jerusalem and, and they were facing a lot of persecution uh, from uh, different Jews, temple leaders and such. And they say, hey, we're all one in Jesus Christ. Here's our offering we've taken up to help you and, and help you through your difficulty and your time of need. So that's why all of those people were there. Um, of course, Paul always liked, he never liked to travel alone. And, and all the way, we've, we've heard about different people, Timothy, Paul, Silas, Barnabas, John, Mark, Luke, all sorts of other people that were accompanying Paul. He liked to be um, with other folks. By the way, you may say, are we ever going to get back out of Acts? This book is so long. Luke's just including a little sliver of what he could have. For instance, Titus, you know, that, that a letter in the, in the Bible, and we hear his name in a few of Paul's letters. Uh, Titus is never mentioned in the book of Acts. Luke just never mentioned him. I'm sure there were many other people that were associates of Paul's, and he didn't have time uh, to mention them all. But all these folks were there, and um, it got to a point where it says, they went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, but, and so we, which would have been Luke and Paul and maybe one or two others, they kind of um, stopped to celebrate the Passover, and then they boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia, which was north Greece, Five days later, they met up in Troas. And so here is the main, um, the main part of the story that I want us to talk about today. What happened in Troas? 
And if I was to put a title to this sermon, I would call it The Boy Who Lived. So let's talk about this, uh, this story. On the first day of the week, Luke says, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Now this is very interesting because this is one of the first places where we hear about worship taking place on the first day of the week. Remember all the earliest Christians at the very first, they were still, um, they were Jews. And so they did a lot of the Sabbath stuff and they went to the temple for certain times of prayers and all this. And you're never going to find a place in the Bible where there's actually a command that says, your day of worship will be on Sunday. There's never a command for that. But gradually, because the early church, uh, they just moved to Sunday, or what they called the Lord's Day, being the day of worship. And this is one of those places where we see worship takes place on the first day of the week. Uh, we also see Paul later as he's commanding Christians uh, to take up an offering. He says, collect it on the first day of the week. And then in the book of Revelation, we see the Apostle John talking about worshiping on the Lord's Day. And so it was that idea of Sunday being the day which the Lord Jesus was raised up in the resurrection. Uh, that was the Lord's Day. And so Christians began to move away from their Jewish heritage of worshiping on Saturday to worshiping on the first day of the week. So here they were. They, a bunch of them had met together. And uh, this is interesting. It was a large place. It was actually a three-story building, uh, which was kind of unusual in that day. This could have either been a very rich person that had this huge house in three stories. On the other hand, it could have been a tenement sort of building, a, apartments with multiple stories, and, and they were all gathered together on this third story. We don't know. But the idea is that the, they gathered together to worship this early church at Troas. And Paul's here. And they're like, wow, the Apostle Paul is here. I know some of you are saying, you read this, and when it says, he preached on until midnight, y'all are like, really? He <laughs> preached till midnight, you know? But this was amazing. I don't think any of them were complaining. Here is an apostle, and they didn't really get a chance to see an apostle often. And he had this short period of time with them, and so he, he's just kind of giving them all. You know, I think he's going from one thing to the next, just sharing about Jesus and how they can grow in Christ. And, and they're eating it up, and, and it's, it's just great. Um, but unfortunately, there was a young man named Eutychus who was sitting there, um, and, and he was sitting in the windowsill. And the Bible mentions that there was a lot of lamps in that room. Probably the Christians, like, had brought the lamp. Each of them had, pro each family probably brought a lamp from their home. And they all gathered together in this one place, and it had gotten dark, and all the lamps are on. And, and, and that probably got it, you know, hot. And, you know, maybe it was kind of hypnotic, kind of like all of y'all waving your bulletins back and forth, you know. <laughs> kind of, you know, hypnotizes me. Well, maybe he felt that way uh, as he saw all those lamps flickering there. And so... And he, the Bible says that he, it, it was kind of like, not like he tried to go to sleep, but, I mean, he fought it, and uh, I've seen this process before. As a pastor, unfortunately, all pastors see this process. He was fighting it, but, hey, he just, he gave in. And the Bible says that he falls from that third story uh, to his death. Apostle Paul uh, stops preaching. We'll give him that credit, right? He stops preaching at that point. And he rushes down, 
and he lays his body over this young man named Eutychus. And it is very similar, it's almost exact the type of description as in the Old Testament, when the prophet Elijah lays his body over the body of a young man who had died. And the resurrection power comes, flows from God through him. And that, that young man, just as in the Old Testament, that young man was raised, this young man was raised. Now, we don't know exactly how old he is. There's, there's two terms. The term that was described him as a young man often was used to someone in their 20s. So, but then the other term, lad, that Paul uses later, says, well, this young lad or this boy is okay, it could be used for 8 to 14-year-olds. So, you know, depending on what, maybe it was like young man when we talk about a junior high. Maybe this is a junior high boy. Maybe it was a millennial. We don't know. But anyway, he falls out. And it's interesting, his name, Eutychus, uh, it's a common name in the ancient world, but it means lucky one. I'm sure there are people, when he fell to his death, who said, Eutychus's luck has run out. But where his luck had run out, the power of God had not run out. The power of God flows through Paul, resurrects him. They go back up. I love this. They say, hey, we hadn't eaten yet. This is a good break in the, in the sermon. Let's go ahead and eat. And they have the Lord's Supper, uh, which for early Christians was often not just, you know, bread, a little bread and a little juice, but it was a whole, what Christians called a love feast, and that was just part of it. And, and so they had their meal, and then, I love this about the Apostle Paul, he starts back up preaching again, and it's, it's midnight, they're eating, the, the boy is okay, and he preaches until dawn, and, uh, and when he's done preaching, uh, then he goes on, and the Bible says um, in verse 12, Meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive well, and everyone was greatly relieved. Or literally, it said, not a little relieved. You know, uh, they were, of course, uh, extremely happy about this. What do we learn about the ancient church? The earliest believers. Uh, we learned that they loved to be together. You know, they didn't all of a sudden start getting Sunday off of work just because a new religion began in the, in the ancient world. Uh, you know, the Caesar and the other officials didn't say, oh yeah, you Christians, there's, there's this, we're going to have a, a daily holiday on the first day of the week now just for you guys, just because you have this new religion called Christianity. No, of course. And in fact, they were often oppressed. So when did they worship? Uh, we know from ancient history... As they started worshiping on Sundays, they would either get together really, really early before work began. And so some early Christians would come at 4, 5, 6 in the morning and worship together. In this case, uh, it was at night. And so after they all got off of work, uh, those who were daily workers who had to work, then they gathered together. We learned also that uh, not only that the first day of the week was important and that gathering together was important, but the Lord's Supper was important. It was a fundamental part of worship. Uh, we need to partake of the Lord's Supper as often as we can because it builds us and strengthens us and it reminds us not only of what God has done, but what He's going to do. 
We don't see all the elements of worship because this wasn't a how-to manual, so it doesn't talk about prayer or singing of, of hymns and psalms. Uh, we know that was a part of the early worship. But they did hear the word. They gathered together for fellowship. They took the Lord's Supper. Uh, they prayed, and, and they had this meeting. And, and they went home, and they were encouraged by Paul and what they did. It's important to us that church is not about the shape of the building or the location. It's about the gathering of God's people together. And with God, there's always hope. We are reminded that no matter what happens, there's always hope in every situation. Eutychus and what God did through Paul raising him back reminds us of that as well. Would you, would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, God, as we think about Paul, we think about the early church. Father, we're thankful for the example that there is sacrifice involved in living for you and spreading your word. Paul, Silas, Luke, Timothy, and so many others gave of themselves of their of their everything, of their all, of their lives to strengthen other believers and to make new believers through the spreading of the gospel. Father, we're thankful for those early Christians who set an example of generosity as they set out to give an offering for their brothers and sisters in Christ who were in need. Beyond their own needs, they looked to the needs of others. And God, we're thankful for this early church at Troas that was so hungry for the Word of God. Uh, they weren't complaining about the temperature in the room, about how long the service was going, about whether the meal was what they expected it to be or not. They were just excited to be together in your presence and to hear from your Word. And Father, I pray that you would remind us that, Lord, your miracle working did not end in the book of Acts. But, Father, you continue to work in powerful ways in our lives today. Help us to be open to your work, to all that you have for us. Father, bless now this uh, time of invitation that we're about to take where we respond to you. Open our hearts to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.